Well, hey, good morning. My name is Clay, and if I haven't met you, uh, I would love to meet you after the service. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're just really glad that you guys came out this morning. And as Rich was saying, if today is your first time here, we'd love for you to stop by the guest center and uh, ask any questions that you may have and uh, grab a cup of coffee on the way out. I noticed we uh, switched from tall to grande in our uh, coffee cups there. That was pretty good. So if I'm a little bit bouncy up here, you'll, you'll know why that was. But um, hey, so we are in our last week of a series that we've been calling Saga, and we're talking about stories. We've been talking about our stories and how they interrelate with one another and how they fit into really the overall story that God, who is the ultimate author of the story, the story that he's been writing and, and all the uh, inter- interactions and interrelationships that are going on there. And uh, so today, as Rich mentioned, I want us to look at a 3,000-year-old poem that uh, a person wrote that uh, relates really well to what we're talking about. I'll kind of leave it at that, and uh, let's read the poem. I think you may have run into it before. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, and he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And if you have been around Renaissance or any other church for any period of time, you probably recognize that as the 23rd Psalm, but it's a poem. And the Psalms are a collection of poems and songs, and really songs are simply, uh, to some extent, poems that are set to music. And so this is a 3,000-year-old poem that was written by uh, a shepherd whose name happens to be David, and he happened to become a king of Israel later on. But he wrote this poem not out of his experiences as king, but out of his experiences as a shepherd. He wrote this poem about 3,000 years ago in the Hebrew language. It's been translated probably into just about every human language, and it may be the most known, perhaps even the most popular poem in the history of the world. And here we are centuries later, and we enjoy it, and we find comfort in it, and we find hope in it, and we find encouragement in it because a shepherd named David took the time to reflect on his relationship with God and write a poem about it, and it's been preserved so that we can have it here uh, 3,000 years later. And for me, it's, it's been one of the most comforting and uh, encouraging of poems and and passages of scripture uh, really in my entire life. And as I was reflecting on this, uh, this psalm, this poem, over the past couple weeks, I realized that for really for most of my life, I was looking at it from one perspective, but yet over the last couple weeks, my perspective about it has shifted just a little bit. And so I wanted to share that with you this morning, that perspective shift that's occurred for me and has really kind of revolutionized my understanding of Psalm 23. And I want to share that with you as well. So if you look at verse 1, this is the way I would always read it in the past. The Lord is my shepherd. 
pretty obvious statement there. The Lord is my shepherd. And I always thought of it as David's making a point about God. And he's saying, just as I, David, am a shepherd to my sheep, God is a shepherd to me. He's one who cares for me. He's one who meets my needs. He's one who protects me, you know, and and so on and so forth. And I think that's absolutely true. And that's the way that I had read it for years and years and years. But then I stopped and I said, well, wait a second. To whom is David writing this poem? Who's he speaking to as he is talking? I said, well, pretty obviously, he's speaking to other sheep because he's put himself not in the position of shepherd, but he's put himself in the position of sheep. And he's saying instead, the Lord is my shepherd. I've got the Lord, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of life as my shepherd. I don't know who your shepherd is, but my shepherd is the Lord. And in comparison, all the shepherds that you got are bad, you know? And so I promise I will only do it one more time in the next service. I had to practice. No, didn't have to practice that. Point being, he's writing from the perspective of the sheep and he's excited. He's saying, I got the best shepherd there is. And I'm excited because my shepherd is the Lord. And I realized then as as I was studying this and praying through it and reading it again, and I don't know how many hundreds of times I've read Psalm 23 in different translations, you know, and those of you who are maybe a little bit older know it in the King James and there's all these leadiths and, you know, different things like that uh, in the Psalm. And I realized this is really the first time that I'm putting myself in the position of a sheep who's excited that I've got the best shepherd there possibly could be to be my shepherd. And because the Lord is my shepherd, David says, I lack nothing. I don't lack anything. He takes care of everything that I need. Verse two, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. I don't know a whole lot about sheep from personal experience. I've met them in a petting zoo. You know, we kind of keep our distance there and, you know, then wash your hands afterwards or, or whatever it is there with the sheep. But I've read a lot about them in books. And, and you, what I understand is sheep are a very skittish kind of an animal. They're very afraid and they're easily, easily frightened. Um, and so in order for a sheep to lie down and be at peace and rest, they have to be free from fear. They've got nothing can make them afraid or they're going to jump up. And then apparently the whole flock will start stampeding and running around kind of like crazy because when one's afraid, they all get afraid. And they're not going to lie down if they're hungry. So when David says that he makes me lie down in green pastures, the the green pastures are green because the shepherds worked hard to provide the food for the sheep. And depending on the part of the world where they're living, the amount of work that a shepherd has to do to make that pasture green so that the sheep can feed and be satisfied and then be comfortable to lie down in it, that can be a fair amount of work. He leads me beside still waters. Apparently sheep won't drink if the water is moving too swiftly. On the other hand, you don't want to have them drink from stagnant pools. So the shepherd has to work to get the spring or the stream or whatever it is to be in a situation where it's 
running enough so that it's healthy for them to drink, but not running so much that they're scared away by the rushing water. So it's a fair amount of work uh, that the shepherd has to do. And sometimes then the sheep, believe it or not, have relationship issues. You wouldn't sort of think of sheep, you know, like human beings having relationship issues. But you've heard of a pecking order, you know, in a chicken coop, sheep have what, what's called a budding order. And you've got, you know, the, the, the top sheep who's, you know, the ram who's kind of beaten up on all the, the younger ones, you know, in order to, to exert his or her, um, you know, authority in the, in the sheep pen, so to speak. And if there are relationship issues, maybe they're fighting with one another, they're not going to lie down until the shepherd comes in, settles the issue, calms everybody down, and they can lie down and be at peace. Or if they're aggravated by ticks or flies or different diseases, again, they're not going to lie down, they're not going to rest, and they're not going to flourish. And if you think about it, the same thing's true for us. You know, if we're hungry, if we've got relationship issues, if we're aggravated by the different, you know, situations that we're, we're facing, whatever it is, we may lie down, but we're not going to sleep, you know, and you're waking up at two in the morning and you're thinking about the problem that's happening at work or the relationship difficulty that you're going through or, you know, whatever the issue that you may be. And David is saying, because the Lord is my shepherd, I can lie down and I can sleep and I can be at peace. That's the kind of shepherd, David says, that I have. And then if we look at at verse four, David says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 23 is actually a story of, a, of the journey, kind of a year-long journey that a shepherd is taking with his flocks. And they start off kind of maybe in the uh, late winter, early spring, and they're down maybe at the base of a mountain, and the sheep are sometimes inside of a barn, some sort of a stable or something like that. Uh, they're penned in. They're in pastures that are down below. But as uh, as the spring moves into summer, it's time for the flocks to go up on the mountains and to feed in the kind of the highland pastures uh, up in the mountains. And in order to get there, they've got to go through these valleys in the mountains. The difficulty with that is that there are predators in the valleys. And the sheep know this. As they see the walls closing in, they get maybe a little claustrophobic and they know that there could be mountain lions or, or other predators there and they're going to be afraid. And David says... Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I don't fear any evil because you're with me. Because my great shepherd is with me and your rod and your staff comfort me. The rod is like a club that the shepherd would use. And, you know, we sometimes think of shepherds as kind of, I don't know, some, somebody was talking to me after one of the services saying, I always thought of shepherds as kind of wimpy guys. But, you know, as you described it, I think they're actually pretty, you know, pretty strong, pretty tough. And what they would do with these clubs is they would beat off the mountain lions or the, you know, the bears or whatever it is that is, is coming. They're going to they're gonna hit them, knock them away, etc. Or apparently some of the young shepherd boys would just have contests as to where they could throw the club and uh, hit a target, maybe 30, 40, you know, uh, 50 feet away. And so they would do that. So the club was primarily for protection, but it was also used, the shepherd might use it to part the wool of the sheep and check to make sure there were no diseases, skin diseases or ticks or, or something like that as well. So when the sheep sees the club, the sheep feels 
safe and comforted by that. And then the staff, you know, we see sort of the picture of the shepherds at Christmas time, you know, with their, uh, with their long staff, and it's got the curved hook on the end. And what the shepherd would do with that is sometimes he'd use it to kind of gather the sheep together, or he might use it just tapping on the side of the sheep gently to reassure them that he was nearby. And sometimes he would take it and use that crook, the little curve on the end, to lift up a newborn lamb to its mother so that he wouldn't touch it and get his scent on the lamb and the mother might reject the, the, the newborn lamb. So instead he'd use his staff to lift the lamb up to its mother so that it could feed. And so the sheep would learn that the staff, that the club were for protection, for encouragement, for comfort, to take care of them and it would give them that sense of well-being uh, and, and that sense of peace. And, and, you know, the same thing is true with us. God doesn't promise that we will live a life that's free of difficulties. There are times when we're going to walk through dark valleys. There are times when we're going to be sick, when we're going to have relationship issues, when, you know, all sorts of different difficulties are going to happen to us. And God never says that we're going to be free from those this side of heaven. But he does say, I'll be with you. And when we, like the sheep, sense the presence of our heavenly shepherd, we can find comfort, we can find peace, we can find freedom from fear when really from a human perspective, we ought to be afraid, we ought to be aggravated, we ought to be upset, we ought to be worried. But God, by his presence, when we turn to him as the sheep turns to a shepherd, God can give us a supernatural comfort in the middle of all of our difficulties. So those are a couple of highlights from Psalm 23. And I would love to, uh, to spend even longer going through the details. And I actually thought about doing that. But there's another aspect uh, of what's going on here that I want to point out to you. And so I want to take some time to do that. But if you're interested in digging deeper into Psalm 23, one of the books that I love, and Rich and I were talking about it this week, kind of life-changing for both of us in terms of understanding Psalm 23, uh, was written by a pastor named Philip Keller. It's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And what's unique about Philip Keller is he's a pastor, but he was also a shepherd for about eight years. And so he's had that experience both uh, as a pastor, but also as somebody who raised sheep and took care of sheep for a period of time. And so he's able to give some insights into it that most of us don't. And I know there's a couple who, you know, here have grown up on farms and have, have worked with sheep, but most of us haven't had that opportunity. So this book is a good one. Uh, there's a link uh, to Amazon on the uh, Renaissance website, if you go to the notes page, you can find it there. And uh, if you're interested, you can go ahead and read that. But as I mentioned earlier, David wrote this psalm based on his early life as a shepherd when he was a young boy before he became king. And as a shepherd, he spent long days and probably even longer nights with essentially no companionship uh, other than the sheep that he would see. And, you know, they're, they're not great for conversation, at least uh, the experience that I've had with sheep. They're not very much uh, in terms of conversation. So you can think that it's going to be monotonous, it's going to be boring, and, and he's going to kind of get frustrated and, and might, you know, grumble and complain about that. But instead of doing that, David took the time to reflect on what his life was like as a shepherd. And then he thought about, you know, in the same way as 
I care for my sheep. My God cares for me. And so he put himself in the position of a sheep, God in the position of shepherd, and he realized the kind of relationship that he had with his sheep was the same kind of relationship that God has with us. And he didn't simply reflect on it, he shared it with us. And he shared it in the form of a poem that 3,000 years later, we're benefiting from it. And as I was, as I was chewing on that, I realized that there's a, a, a lesson and a, and a challenge and an encouragement in, a, uh, in that for all of us. And it relates to the series that we're doing where we're talking about our stories. And I think the bottom line is that we need each other's stories. I need your story. You need my story. We need to share with one another what God is doing in our lives through the exciting circumstances and through the mundane circumstances of our lives. And if David hadn't taken the time to reflect and to write down and to share what he was learning, we wouldn't have benefited from it. And if we don't take the time to reflect and to share with one another, we're not going to benefit from each other's stories either. So let me encourage you to start by just reflect on what God is doing in your life. Take some time just to stop and think, what can I learn from the day-to-day activities in my life? So maybe, maybe you're a mom and you're home most of the day and you've got children who aren't a whole lot more communicative than sheep because they're only you know, a few months old, right? And they're pretty good at crying. They're pretty, pretty good at drinking milk. They're very good at filling up diapers, you know, but beyond that, they're not much for conversation, you know. And yet, if you stop for a minute and you think about it, God has given this mom the privilege of caring for this human being, for this person who's going to grow up to be, and, and I don't know what she's going to grow up to be, but I can care for her, I can pray for her, I can meet her needs And as I stop and reflect on that, I realize, isn't that what God does for me? Doesn't God, in some sense, like a mom caring for her newborn child, meet our needs when we are essentially helpless apart from him? When, in some sense, what can we give to God that he hasn't already given to us? And so, you know, if we stop as, as a mom or as a dad in the middle of the night, three in the morning, feeding the child the bottle, how often does God do that for us? You know, so that's one thing we could reflect on if you're a mom or you're a dad who's taking care of your children. You're a teacher, and because the weather's changing, and apparently whenever the weather changes, classes go nuts. And if you're a teacher, you know what I'm talking about there. And so today, your class is just not paying any attention to everything. Or maybe it starts snowing outside, and they're all looking outside instead of looking on the board you know, at, at, or their lesson, whatever they're supposed to be studying. And you're just getting more and more and more frustrated because they're just not paying attention. Well... Hello, how often do we just not pay attention to God? You know, and it stops and we think and we say, you know, Lord, just as my class isn't paying attention to me, sometimes I just don't pay attention to you. And I thank you for the patience that you show me even when I might otherwise be frustrating you. 
Or you're a business executive and you're called in to bring order out of chaos. You know, maybe, maybe the, the company has just gone through a merger and you're the one that's called in to try to merge these two disparate departments where the people are not getting along with one another and you've got two completely set, you know, different sets of processes and procedures and you don't know what you're going to do, but you've got to bring order out of chaos. God brought order out of chaos when he created the world. And he continues to bring order out of chaos as he's restoring the world to the way that it ought to be. But as a business executive, have I ever stopped to think, oh yeah, as I'm trying to bring order out of chaos, I'm actually just reflecting what God has done and he does it a whole lot better. He's a pretty amazing God. You're an artist and you look at an incredible sunset and you look at the colors in the sky and you say, I can't even imagine how I would create that array of colors on my palette. I just don't have the ability to paint like the eternal artist who created the sky and who gave me the ability to paint a painting. But I'm going to try and I'm going to stop. I'm going to paint that sunset because I want to declare the greatness of the God who actually painted the sunset in the sky. And this is the first time I'm really stopping to think that when I paint, I'm reflecting the glory of the ultimate painter, of the ultimate artist. Or I'm a parent whose heart is broken because one or maybe all of my children have kind of gone astray. They're living a life, they're living their lives in a way that if I could live it for them, they wouldn't do it. And it breaks my heart. But then I realize, wait a second, don't I in the same way go astray? Don't I often, maybe even every day, do things that grieve the God who loves me? And yet he has that love and that compassion for me. And as I think about that, it gives me renewed hope as a mom or as a dad, as I think about my child. And so I turn to him to meet my needs and to encourage me during the period of time when I'm grieving because my child may be, may be wandering. Or maybe, maybe you're staying up all night because you're just in chronic pain. You've got an illness that you know is not going to get better this side of the grave. But you're looking forward to the day when you're going to spend eternity with your great shepherd who's created a place in heaven and who's looking forward to you being there in a place where there's no more mourning, there's no more crying, there's no more disease, there's no more tears, there's no more pain, there's no more strife. And you're just looking forward to being able to, you know, metaphorically speak, lie down in that green pasture in heaven and be at rest. And my point is, Wherever you are in your life, whatever you do on a day-to-day basis, whatever experiences you have, whatever you encounter, take the time and stop and reflect like David did and ask God to help you to see him in the daily circumstances of your life. But don't just simply reflect on what God is doing in your life. Share your story. Share your story with somebody else. We need your story. I need to hear 
what God is doing in your life, what he's teaching you, how he's working in your life. And we need to hear that from one another. When my father died a little over six years ago, it was just a couple of months after we arrived here uh, in Summit, and my father passed away from cancer. And I got, I don't know, a couple of dozen notes and emails and phone calls and hugs from different people. And they ranged from, hey, I'm so sorry to hear about your dad. I'm praying for you. And that might have been all that they had said. Others said, you know what? My own father passed away a couple of years ago from cancer. And other people said, yeah, when my mom died or when this loved one died, here's something that comforted me. And here's how I found hope as I was thinking about the God who loves me and the God with whom your dad is now rejoicing in heaven. And you guys sharing your stories with me brought me comfort and brought me encouragement and brought me hope in that situation. And as I was uh, talking about this message with a, a couple of folks here at the office, and we were just talking about the message and different things, somebody reminded me of something that happened uh, during the project. And the project is uh, an opportunity that we have. It's, a, it's like a four-week uh, interactive discussion where we're talking about different stories and we're talking about God's story and how he created the world. And we're talking about our story and how we're living in a broken world. And we, then we talk about Jesus' story and what Jesus has done about our broken world. But then the last week, the fourth week of the project, we're broken up into small groups and we share pieces of our spiritual journey, really pieces of our story with one another. And uh, during one of those, one of those groups, a, a couple was sharing about the struggle that they had had for many years with infertility and their, just their inability to have children and the heartache and, and the pain that that brought them. And then they shared about their efforts to try to adopt and the challenges that they went through that. And then they talked about how God, in a pretty amazing way, allowed them to adopt a child just in, in a sudden and, and awesome way and how excited they were for the way that God had worked through that. And as they looked around at the table, one by one, the different couples at the table all of them said, we've struggled with infertility issues too. Thank you for sharing your story with us and the comfort and the encouragement it is just simply maybe to know that somebody else is struggling in that way because we've never talked about it with anybody else. And when I heard that, I was just like, yeah, it's a perfect illustration. Or uh, the, the, the young man who started coming to Renaissance a couple of years ago because he felt like he needed something more. He felt like something was missing from his life and he thought he might be able to find it at Renaissance. And so he started on a journey of trying to figure out who Jesus is and what his relationship to Jesus might be. And he hadn't arrived at any real conclusions about that, but he was going along and he was finding some hope and some comfort. So he invited one of his friends to join him who he felt was in a similar sort of a situation. So this guy invited his friend to come to Renaissance. And within a couple of months, his friend had come to the point where he said, I want to be a follower of Jesus. And then he ended up getting baptized because he was so excited to proclaim that Jesus had died on the cross and risen for him. And the friend who brought him was still on the journey there. And it was just so cool to hear the story of one person on a journey bringing another person to join him on that journey and where they ended up finding Jesus. Or last week, I received an, an email from a friend with whom I've had a, a number of conversations 
over the past couple of years about a challenging situation he had gone through in his life where his, uh, you know, through a divorce and family breakup and all the pain of that. And he was just saying, hey, pastor, as you're, as you're looking forward to the holiday season, to Thanksgiving and to Christmas, just be sensitive to those of us who don't have a family at home, who are going to wake up on Christmas morning to an empty house. And he said, you know, over the years, God has brought me comfort and encouragement and strength, but I'm thinking of those who are still really going through that struggle. And just think of them, pray for them, and be sensitive to their needs. And I loved the heart with which he shared his story and his pain with me so that I might be in a better position to minister to others who are going through that. And so he was willing to share his story with me so that others could benefit from his story. And we can go on and on and on. But my encouragement to you is don't just think about what God's doing. Share your story because we all need it and we all could benefit from it. But then beyond that, listen to others. Ask people what's going on in their lives. Don't put them on the spot. But as they begin to share with you, draw it out of them. Because sometimes we, we think like, you know, that, that my story is too mundane. It's nothing that I could write a poem about. It's nothing that I could stand up and talk about. But you know, sometimes what may seem mundane to me is exactly what somebody else needs to hear. And maybe the way that you can help somebody else is by just listening to their story with a sympathetic ear and drawing it out, asking questions about the details. And then if someone shares their story with you and it makes a difference in your life, tell them about it. Tell them about it because that will encourage them to share their story with others. And then others can be blessed by that as well. So we need your story. You know, Reflect on what God is doing in your life, even in the se- seemingly mundane circumstances. Share your story with others and then listen to other people's stories. Draw their stories out and thank them for the stories that they're sharing with you. I want to I close by looking at a verse in the New Testament, in the Gospel of John. And, and if you've been around Renaissance for a while, you know the Gospel of John is uh, just about my favorite book in the Bible. And Jesus picks up on this shepherd imagery that, that David is talking about in Psalm 23. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I'm the shepherd that David was talking about. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And just as David, as a shepherd, in order to protect his sheep, was really willing to risk his life, in the same way Jesus not only risked his life, he gave his life for us, for his sheep. And that's the ultimate act of a shepherd who cares for and who loves his sheep. And so as we, as we head into this Christmas season and we begin to think about the birth of Jesus, think about the birth not just of a, of a baby, but of a good shepherd who chose to leave heaven, come down to earth, be born as a helpless baby, live, grow up as a carpenter, pretty obscure profession, live, suffer, die for me, for you for his sheep, that we could spend eternity with him in heaven, rise again so that we could have new life. And as you think about that, take the time to reflect what God is doing in your life, to share that with somebody and to point them 
to that good shepherd. Point them to the God who loves them enough that he would be willing to give his life that we could spend eternity with him. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm just awed every time I read Psalm 23 and I think that you are my shepherd. That there is no better shepherd that I could possibly have than the one who is willing to send his son to live, to suffer, to die, and to rise again, that I could have a restored and a renewed relationship with you. And and Father, I pray for myself, I pray for each of us, that we would turn to you to meet our needs, that we would look to you, that we'd come to you when we're hungry, when we're tired, when we're afraid, when we're Uh, when we're hurting, when we're in relationship difficulties, I pray that we would turn to you to meet our needs. And as we find you meeting our needs, as we find hope and comfort in passages of scripture or in the circumstances that you're bringing into our life, I pray that we would be willing to share that with others and bring hope to them. And as they see the way in which you're working in our lives, I pray that they would see how you're working in their life as well. So I pray for each of us that we would, in a renewed way, see you as our good and loving and great shepherd. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for coming out this morning, and I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving.